the truth is, I take what it's offered to me, and so far it's been a really nice journey. I like to wake up 4 a.m., have coffee, and do it. I don't care for the Oscars. I don't. Nobody should. Hello, and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast. Sponsored by Harlequin Floors, world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. The Theatre Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Ana Aguilera. On this episode, Naomi is sharing with us about her career as a set designer, costume designer, and production designer for field and theatre. Born and raised in Mexico City, Naomi Gonzalez-Can is a Los Angeles-based production and costume designer for film and live performance. She earned her master's degree in fine arts from UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. She also holds a degree in jewelry design from the National Institute of Fine Arts and a degree in stage design from the National School of Theatrical Arts in Mexico City. She enjoys the movement and multifaceted nature of visual narrative design the most. Hello and welcome. Bienvenida. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Love talking about my craft and love talking to other people and meeting new people. Hi. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the podcast and thanks for joining us. So let's start. Who are you? What got you to LA in theater and what do you do? Well, as I said, I'm Naomi gonzalez Can, and I last I, I like to use both of my last names with here in, here in the US. I need to sort of justify it a little bit. Um, my father's last name is Gonzalez, my mother's name is Khan, and I think that using both sort of understands very well sort of my culture and my nature towards design and how I like approaching. I started as a professional dancer as a child. Uh, I was dancing for 20 years, my first 20 years of life, and at some point during you know my teenage years, 15, I started teaching dance, and so at some point somebody needed costumes, and I was like, well, my mom has sewing machines, let me see what I can do. And slowly, because of her job, she had she actually had a full shop that wasn't working anymore. Uh, back in the 80s, she was doing bathing suits. So we had everything, all the tools, and we hired a few seamstresses. And slowly, you know, it ended up being two seamstresses, me, like her daughter and me. Uh, we bonded beautifully. And it was it, my career sort of started. And by 19, I was already dressing over 30 girls per group. And sometimes festivals, I had two or three groups for festivals. So it was like I was dressing a hundred girls, sometimes some boys, which, you know, gave me a range because they needed to look the same as the girls, but it was boys. And by 19, I was making money out of it. And it just sort of stayed with me. I didn't really know I could have a career in this. I just thought, you know, I'm making money, I'm dancing, whatever. I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be on stage, backstage. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and I wasn't a great student. So by the time I graduated high school, I had to be honest, six months to go because I owed math. So my mom was like, you're not going to sit in your ass for six months waiting for one math test. Uh, you're going to technical school. So I went to the fine arts school of jewelry. And there, within like two years, and I finished, like I finished high school and I finished everything I had to finish. And like year three, I had this drawing class. And so I just like randomly had in my portfolio, portfolio full of costumes that I was about to show a designer. I was showing one of my friends and the professor saw it. He was like, what do you have there? And I was like, ah, I didn't do the homework, but I have all this. <laughs> um, as I said, I'm not great at school. Like I love going to school and I've gone to school forever. 
but I'm not good at it because I'm bad with authority. I'm like doing whatever I want. <laughs> so I'm not, and I hate homework. So I just showed him and he was like, wait a minute, why aren't you in theater school? What is this? And I was like, what do you mean theater school? He's like, there's a theater school and like you learn costume design. And I was like, I have no clue what you're talking about. So I looked online and I saw there was a theater school online. 15 years ago is not the same as today. It was like, basically like, here's a school, but there's no information about it. And I was like, and it was, you know, Mexican national school. So like, there was really no information about it. So I did a little bit of digging. Uh, I saw I was acting in set design and I was like, I'm an actress. And I took an acting course. Yeah, no, never. Like I can't get a sentence out of myself. I was like, no, no, no. I think I got it all wrong. I was still dancing. Uh, not professionally, but I was still dancing. And I tried it. I was like, I'm not an actress at all. And then my mother was like, you can't drop school. You have to finish. So I finished jewelry, four years of school. And then I applied to the theater school. I decided set design. I applied to the theater school and things have changed. Things have changed a lot. But back then, it was 20, 2009, I think. There was like this two-week test that you had to do with the professors. And they were super intimidating. And, you know, we have a lot of respect for elder professors in Mexico. So it was very intimidating to me to see these like theater personalities and start knowing about them. And the school is super modern, super beautiful, super dysfunctional. But like to begin with, it was very, very impressive. And there was 50 people in the test. We ended 15 the test. Only nine of us got in. And then the entire first year is like, if you don't finish well, we're kicking you out of school. So the entire process was extremely nerve wracking. Uh, like it was like a, it was like a year and two months of like horrible situations. And like slowly we understood it was because if you didn't survive that, you weren't going to survive a career throughout, you know, and like professors, we had this beautiful, amazing set designer. Her name is Felida Medina, big personality. She died, I think last year, maybe two years ago, something like that, like recently. And she was the first set designer in Mexico. She was one of my professors. Raul Cermeño also died a few years after I left school. Big, giant Mexico theater personality. And like uh, Arturo Nava, I was able to get these like giant personalities, um, Martina Costa, to be my professors. And so I was very lucky to learn from them in, in, in school. Back then, school was escenografía, or what we call it here in the U.S., scenography which implies that you can do set design, costume design, lighting design, producing, basically directing. It used to be a very theater literature analysis, the old Greeks school. I don't know how it operates anymore, but like now I know that they specialize, like you decide if you're a costume designer. So like for me, it was, it was wonderful to be able to sort of do everything. I got an office job when I finished school and I hated it. I quit. <laughs> I was like the assistant of a director of a company and I just a dance company. I was like, I hate this. I was in the office all day. I quit and in the, I was like depressed, quote unquote. I just didn't know what to do with myself. I started doing theater with Martina Costa. He's a very renowned director. And I was like, well, I'm getting somewhere clearly and it's fun, but I'm not being paid. And the truth is that the national theater system is very dysfunctional and I'm going to have to wait, you know, a year for a check, $500. I was 28. I was still living with my parents. And I was like, I'm done. I need, I need a change of scenery. <laughs> and I randomly was like, costume design. Because that was what I had been doing for the longest. I was doing mostly lighting design because it's very accessible and you need like a very good nature for it. And set design is very difficult in Mexico because, you know, there's no money. There's no money to build anything. So, you know, abstract theater is actually very good there. 
And so I was like, I'll apply as a costume designer to this random UCLA school. I don't even know what this is about. Like, and I was like, hey, sister, my older sister, do you think I'm going to get in? And she's like, no way. They're looking for somebody that can write essays. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not getting in. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and I got in. And I, it was a surprise for everybody. We at all weren't expecting it. We thought the $50 fee to apply was too much and we were going to lose the money. It was like, ah. <laughs> and I didn't only got in. I got invited to LA for like a house like a like show the school weekend they flew me in they hosted me I was sold I was like I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this <laughs> I'm gonna do it and I I had savings so I did one year out of savings and applied for a scholarship I got it uh, a Mexican scholarship uh, from the government from Conacyt I got it and I just sort of kept going and I've stayed in it I fell I say I fell from the sky into it I I don't know and it's been very organic like I always, I guess as designers here in LA, we always have the question of what path are we taking? Am I taking the correct path? Like, am I going to be dumped by the film industry and then die and not work? And like, luckily it hasn't happened to me. Um, and I always say that like, we complain about the opportunities that we take or the jobs or the decisions we make. But like, the truth is I take what it's offered to me. And so far it's been a really nice journey. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's just like here talking and I was, I could just relate to so much of it. So, so much, so much. <laughs> like even applying to the Anat or to the, like, just, I did not, but it was more or less about the same time when I was looking at school. So now I didn't want to move to Mexico City. The information was a little, the school was like very not super well known they didn't really have anything on technical theater per se and I was like I don't want to do set design nor lighting design so I, but I also don't want to act so <laughs> oh my god and the process to getting into an ad it, it used to it was so great like I my mom still talks about it she came with me it was like you had to be in line at 4 a.m in the morning or else you wouldn't get your number and I was like what do you mean I have to be in line at 4 a.m in the morning for like eight hours what <laughs> Well, maybe that part, because I did end up going to art school, but in Guadalajara, and I, we did have to line up, and yeah. it was very, maybe not four, but maybe seven or yeah. six. So you just sit there, got your number. Yeah, 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 and then sit down and draw for hours. And <laughs> same, same. Um, I always tell people Mexican schools are really good. Like, it felt like torture back then, but, like, that that was a great test, you know, and some of us passed it. Yeah, I, I, I had, and I... Like, there's much that could be done differently oh, yeah. in terms, especially on what you were saying about funding and uh, all that stuff, but, like, the money part. But teachers, faculty, and then, like, the thought process you you go through, it's something that, yeah, I definitely did not have doing my master's here. It was, Same. like, the, the, the intellectual and cultural rigor to approach your craft is very different. I tell my students that I think that my undergrad was another master's degree. Like we took it so seriously, so seriously. And yeah. Yeah. It's a very, also very different. And I'm very grateful as it sounds like you are too, of having both, you I know, like it. this yeah. balance of different ways of approaching what you do. Yes. And, and I think it's, it's, I think it's a quality that people look into. Like they, they really like it working. They're like, Oh, I, you know, like people do other stuff and I, I feel really good with this and, it's helped me I really I, I'm very <laughs> proud of my Mexican education very very proud of it yeah I, I am too I really I really liked and I also because I did visual arts yeah. I ended up not doing theater but visual arts 
And I'm very proud of that. Yeah. Like I am so grateful of having that visual background and art history back up there in the back of my head every now and then. It's like, oh, there's yeah. you know, this reference here and there. Yeah. Or if we could just only frame it, <laughs> tweak it. Yes, yes. It's yeah, I, I agree. I definitely so I don't know, it's it's very different, but it's there's richness, there's there's a lot of value to it. Yes. Yes. I had two questions as you were speaking. <laughs> uh always happens to me. But the one was now you teach, or do you teach now? Yes. Since you had so much problems with authority. Yes. <laughs> so how is it going? I teach as much as I can. I still don't like I still dream of having a full course. I want to teach a full design course. I think that would be I think that's where I am the best at sort of analyzing ideas, coming up with ideas. Also, if I would be teaching designers, you know, younger designers, how to talk to your team, how to talk to your director, to your producer, to your DP, to your costume designer, or to your production designer or uh, your gaffers, you know, like that's what I would love to do and how to approach it from a design perspective. Like as I always say that the production designer is like the CEO of the art department and, you know, the same with the costume designer, you're not necessarily designing the tree, but you're telling somebody what the tree should look like. You're telling the director, we should put a tree here and arguing with the DP of the camera fits that kind of thing. So for me, that would be ideal. But I teach, you know, now and then course, full courses in production design, like a guest speaker on, on, on a master class. I also teach uh, like skills. I'm a skilled professor sometimes, advisor to projects as well, like uh, master degree projects at, at UCLA, they bring in advisors to help them go through the process. Um, so I've been advising as well. But how do I, I love teaching. I actually love teaching. I love talking about my craft. And I think that my biggest like, how do I approach it? I try and be as simple as possible. Um, and I think my good example would be when I'm teaching Photoshop, I tell people like, Photoshop is a tool. Photoshop is your watercolors. Like, you need to know what you want to draw. You need to know how to draw. You need to know what a piece of paper and a pencil feels like before you jump into Photoshop, because all you're going to do in Photoshop is watercolor. Like, it's just a tool. You can choose Photoshop, you can choose watercolors, you can choose photography, you can choose collaging but it's just the tool, right? So like my first approach is analysis, how you're thinking about the story, how you're meeting with the director, what you should be looking at. You know, don't be precious about your skill work, which is, you know, drawings or, you know, collage presentations, uh, lookbooks. Don't be precious about it because it's not about you. It's about this big story. You can cry at night all you want if they said no to your drawing, <laughs> which happens. You're like, oh, I've been on this for 12 hours. But, you know, you can't be precious about it because if you're not connecting narrative-wise with the rest of the team, then you have to adapt. Otherwise, it's not going to look like you want it to. It's not going to be perfect. And then you will feel bad about it. So, like, I try and humble them down a little bit and, you know, sort of explain that it's a very simple job. You just have to be what we call in Mexico, colmilludo. You have to know what you're saying and be very quick in the head, very, very quick at solving problems. Um, and I think I've got, I think I get better each project with it. <laughs> and I think that's like my teaching approach mostly like simplicity analog I like designing analogly I like a piece of paper like if we're gonna go if we're gonna go into the digital world that's fine if that's what your gig your love affair is with do it but I do think that learning analogly is the best way to learn anything especially like <laughs> what's happened in the past years in the world it's like you you have no security on anything in life so you know you might as well 
try and be able to do it on your own without all the technology. And I do think of this in an analysis, like you can be part of the departments of all the creative departments. You don't have to be the designer, you know, in order to get your creativity and your vision into the movie. But if you're going to choose to be the designer, I think it's a literary job. I don't think it's a physical design drawing job. I think it's how you are understanding and how you are feeling the movie. And that's when I come with my little, I like narrative, visual narrative the most. Like that is like sort of my, my, my way of speaking. Because I, that, I think that's what it is. You're just visually narrating something without words. You're not using your words to tell a full story. And that's your job. That's, that's your job to do analysis. To be like, this is a, if you're a costume designer and say that you decide that it's a, a character tragi- tragedy, like the, ca- the character is provoking the tragedy in, in an Aristoteles um, <laughs> <laughs> sort of breakdown, then as a costume designer, you know, the costumes should reflect that the character is trying to kill itself, you know, and what is, th- what is that? What does that t-shirt look like? You know, that the, co- the character for some reason is, I don't know, a serial killer, Dexter. And he's so pristine, you know. Oh, well, of course, his killing scenes are also very pristine. And that is analysis. That's not design, I think. <laughs> totally, because you're, you're extracting or you're taking out of, like, the essence of the character or the scene or the mood or whatever the, the, the story is. <laughs> and most importantly, you have your team to do the creative part. Like when you're hiring your team, when you're doing your nucleus of people working around you, they are like whoever is set dressing on a stage, they are putting up the stuff. You know, they they have to feel that part and they are doing the creative part. So that's also a thing like how how your team understands sort of where it's coming from, where the choices are coming from. That's so important. Like you come back to the team, putting the team together and communicating with your team and like choosing, I guess, the right words, the right people, the right ideas and making sure that the idea came across to to get what you're looking for. Yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, That's I think I think the team is also a a very big part of teaching, you know, like you these are your classmates. But whenever it's your team, like you guys are a team. Like, you're not against each other. You can't be, you know, like, and if it's not working, it's not working. And that's fine. Like, sometimes things don't work and they're not personal. Yeah. Because (laughs) also when things don't work, it's also, I don't know, who are we interviewing? There was someone else in the podcast that said they had their drawer of ideas and this one didn't work right now. And then you keep it in your drawer. drawer. (laughs) Sometimes you pull it out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, five years later, you you put it out and say, hey, now that... This works today. Or let, let's give it another try. I was, um, Raul Cervenia, which I mentioned early, he, he gave a class of like, it was like art philosophy for theater designers. It was like a very specific class he made up. And he used to tell us that, you know, this is Hegel, I think, but it's like, it's, it's about your horizon. Your horizon as a designer needs to be as big as possible. Like you need to be able to see so, so far away and take the information and store it. And as big as your horizon is, the easier you'll understand what others tell you or ask of you. I think that's so valid for artists in general. Like you can say way more as an artist, the more you can, I don't know if understand, but at least see. See, yeah. See it, see it, see it, see it. And then you, and then you grab it. Oh, also that for class, Um, learn how to research. 
You don't have to learn dates of anything ever. History dates, again, a bad student here. Um, <laughs> you don't have to learn anything. You know, you have to learn what to look for, which is, it's a different kind of think process. Yes. 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 Like if you're looking for a bottle when the play calls for a glass, then you're looking And even stuff. like I had this with an architect friend. He was like, he came over for drinks and he's like, what's up with your weird beers? And I had these like matte painted bottles of beer. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> what's up with your beer? I'm like, I use them for a prop, but like I wasn't going to throw out the beer. So <laughs> I'm drinking this. And it was like, I was working on a 360 green dome so nothing could have reflections or else the whatever visual effects wouldn't work so everything was matte painted it was like this beer bottle he's like they're so long and lean and I was like well because it's a 1970s thing and so like I wanted it to feel sort of like to fit in and he was like they look so weird and I was like it, he's Mexican and I was like it's Cerveza Pacifico and he was like what these don't look like Cerveza Pacifico at all. And I'm like, well, you know, they're long and lean. You, you, you know, you have to know what you're looking for. I found it in Cerveza Pacifico in the grocery store. I didn't have to go find 1970s bottles. You know, it, it was just like knowing it was, I would say that like, I've, I've seen that here in the United States, it's more of like looking for the 1970s bottles, specifically looking for it, finding it, bottling it, relabeling it. And for me, it was more of go to the grocery store and find something that looks just And it works. Everybody was like, oh my God, where'd you get this with beer inside? I'm like, it's Cerveza Pacifico. Everybody, it's Cerveza Pacifico. <laughs> We had fun that night with our prop beers. <laughs> Not branding here. <laughs> Not branding, branding. <laughs> And now a moment for our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by Harlequin. Harlequin is the world leader in floors, stage systems, and studio equipment for the performing arts. Established in the UK over 40 years ago, Harlequin is the preferred performance floor for the world's most prestigious dance and performing arts companies, theatres and schools. From the Royal Opera House to the Bolshoi Theatre, the New York City Ballet to the Royal New Zealand Ballet. Harlequin's experience and reputation are founded on the development, manufacture and supply of a range of high quality sprung and vinyl floors specifically designed for dance and the performing arts. Backed by an engineering team and independent research, Harlequin also designs, builds and refurbishes stages working with stage engineers and theatre consultants in leading venues across the world. Harlequin is the global leader in its field with offices in Europe, the Americas and Asia Pacific. Find out more at harlequinfloors.com, H-A-R-L-E-Q-U-I-N floors.com. No, that, that's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a different approach on how to... How to look for information. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And so the other question I kind of had when we first started talking, and I think you've kind of organically mentioned that your transition to from theater to, to film, but you just imply it and you're just like, what happened there? Or how has it evolved? It's actually a sad, I call it a sad story. I'm in love with live performance. I think it's so thrilling and if I'm doing lights call whatever the hell I'm doing to me it feels like I'm performing with them and because I do come from a performance very exciting you know when you're dancing before you go on stage you go dark like you have no idea what's happening and then you come out and you sort of know everything and the lights feel so good so for me when I'm on stage not me me but now my things are on stage my ideas I get I get as thrilled as when I was dancing but very sadly I've taken 
a lot of distance from live performance. And I think it's because of heartbreak. I, I'll be fully honest. Doing theater is very hard. Doing live performance is very, very difficult. It's very underpaid. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I guess this is my biggest critique. I find that no is a full sentence in film. And no means nothing in theater. Can you move the entire stage by one inch? No, we can't do that. That means, you know, we would have to hire an entire team. We have to work overnight. Like, what are you talking about? One inch of no. No, no, no yes, you're doing it. Like, I don't care. You just said no. It's happening. I find that no, there's no room for no in theater. And I, I, I think <laughs> for mental health, to me, that's very difficult. Has been, was very difficult. There's also no money. And at the end of the day, I want to have a very, I want to have a comfortable life. You know, I don't want to have to be counting pennies. And it did take me very long to get out of my mom's house because of that, because it was very poorly paid and too much work, a lot of traffic across the city to, you know, give somebody three liters of blood and then go back home. And it took two hours and a half and nobody paid you. And I was angry. I was working very angrily. <laughs> and then when I came here to the U.S., I realized that Mexican theater was just way better. Um, so that was like sort of a, then, well, I don't want to be doing theater here. <laughs> if I'm going to be doing theater, I want to do it there. And slowly I started recognizing and understanding film, which I didn't. I felt like I was taking one of the best production design classes that I've taken in my life with like Mark Worthington you know, Emmy Award winner, designer of WandaVision, you know, like this amazing human. And I was like, I don't, I have no idea what production design is. Like, I still don't understand what you want me to bring to class. I was here, you know, this is a tragedy. And he was like, but what the room, what does the room look like? I'm like, I don't know what, like, I didn't quite understand what the transition was. And it happened live. Like I just was dropped in that class. And slowly I was like, oh, I love this. I get to talk to the, like, it's the, I call it the Holy Trinity where like the DP, and the director and you, the production designer, have these like very deep conversations about how we're going to shoot it. And then the director and the DP go and make it happen as I'm prepping for them to arrive into a room. No is a full sentence. A full sentence. Can we do da-da-da for... No. Okay, great. Thank you. Oh, that was easy. Like, no is a full sentence. It's paid usually by the day or by the hour. I don't have to wait six months for a paycheck. And it's exciting. And it's very exciting. So at the beginning, people say like, Ugh, it's just film's not the same, you know, because like you get so many takes. And that's not true. Like, <laughs> I've actually found that I have a lot more time to waste when I'm doing theater. I'm like, I have three months to work on this. It's fine. And when I'm on film, it's like doing surgery. You don't necessarily know your team. Some people just arrive the day of, like you hire over the phone over a two minute conversation. People arrive to set day of and Everybody knows exactly what their job is. Everybody knows to not distract others. Everybody knows to don't touch the tools of others. It's, it's like going into surgery. And for me, you know, anxiety, people, everything that drives me crazy, it was sort of solved already for me. Like, I didn't have to talk to anybody when I arrived to the theater. I just went into the set and things were ready to go. Love it. I And I love how quick it is. Like, I get a call last this week, I got hired for a job that shoots Friday, and I actually have seven days to put together a giant set. And it's so quick, and the adrenaline runs so fast. So that's basically why I transition. Has the transition been simple? No, not at all. I've cried a lot because I feel bad about it. <laughs> I have like this theater guilt inside me. 
I try to do theater. I try to do live performance whenever it's offered to me. I try to take the job. Strangely, now with pandemic, I did two operas uh, that were supposed to be live performances. And because of the situation, the companies switched it up and decided to do films. I love them. I love them both. I love sort of the combined way of theater making uh, with film. Uh, it's, it, it, it's a new beast. It's a, it's, an ex- it's a completely different, perfect new beast for people that know how to do both. Um, but it's not a full transition. It's more of a little trauma <laughs> that I had there. <laughs> it's like my day job and my hobby, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, you say it's a heartbreak, but I feel like you really like what you do anyway. Yes. Like, so... <laughs> I do. It doesn't sound that bad. Either. Not at all. I love my, I think it's the same job, honestly. Like it, it changes sort of the security and your approach and your conversation meetings. Theater meetings are always in person and everybody wants to be involved and you know, film meetings last 15 minutes on zoom. <laughs> it's mostly that. It's, it's mostly that. I feel like you could put a um, recommendation list <laughs> For theater makers, things that they could learn from the film industry to be more efficient. A hundred percent. Like, I would love to teach that class, for example. (laughs) Don't do all this. It's unnecessary. (laughs) Yeah. I can't wait. Like, I really want to hear all of this. (laughs) There's so much emotion in theater. And I think it comes back from old times theater, Greek theater. And we drove it all the way to hear all the emotion and anxiety. (laughs) And that's universal, Mexico. Oh, yes. Oh, everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. And, you know, everybody always wants to go have dinner, get drinks. Let's bring pizza. Let's, you know, socialize. And I'm just like, guys, let's get to work. (laughs) It's so much better. (laughs) Um, But I get it. I get it because it's physical. It's press. Your your presence is actually there, you know, throughout throughout presentations, live presentations. So, Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's a it's an interesting way of analyzing why we do what we do, kind of, yeah. or how we do it, right? Like how the medium that we work on shapes so much of how we interact with each other around and beyond what we do. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. So interesting. So so interesting. Because for filmmakers, sure, on a screen, why not? Yeah. Camera. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting exactly and like it's more of a like let's just get there like i like you for the first 30 seconds let's just do it together like oh word of mouth word of mouth in film is just like the biggest and easiest way to get jobs and in theater they they have to like you they have to like you it's not that somebody else liked you (laughs) they have (laughs) to like you and so you know it is a lot more personal it is a lot more personal I have social anxiety. Personal is scary to me. <laughs> takes energy. You know, it takes energy from the job. I won't lie. It does. Yeah. And time. Because it's not the same. Yeah, yes. definitely. They go together. Very, very interesting. So what do you think have been the skills that you that were the harder to master within all these transitions from being a dancer to <laughs> a full-on production designer? I would say my biggest and hardest to this date is still struggle is the digital world. I've become extremely proficient in Photoshop, the creative suite, sort of the artsy part of um, the digital world and sort of that transition. I still draw by hand. 
as you can see, I sketch everything. I do quick concept sketches, uh, scan them into the computer, and then work them in the computer. I've become very quick and easy, and you know, producers love it. Uh, 3D models. In Mexico, we used to do crazy scale models of like entire blocks of a city just to understand scale and understand how things look when you frame them. So we did literally an entire block in detail, realistically in scale in Mexico, and then broke it into sections to do a set design of cities. Everybody had their own. And that was one of those tests where you like got out of school if you didn't pass it. And the professor was Rosfelia, you know. She used to... um if she she used to smoke in class, and if she didn't <laughs> like it, she would be like, uh, "This is not dirty enough, you know, you know, and it didn't look like it's real." And she would like, put the put you know her ashes into your model that you have been you know crying over a month, and just like smudge it and be like, "There, it looks used," and leave, or like, "This is out of scale," and pull it out of your model and destroy everything around it. <laughs> so like model making digitally, it was very easy to me. Like I understood it very quickly. It's very clean. It looks beautiful. Directors love it because it looks shiny. But I cannot draft digitally at all. Like I cannot do by drafting. I make technical drawings. So the designer comes up with a drawing, a random drawing of whatever. It can be as sketchy <laughs> and as not easy to understand as you want it, right? But then you have, usually in film, you have somebody called a draft. It would be a draftman, but they're set designers. That's what they're called. They're technical drawers, and their job is one of the most hardest, most technical ones because they're actually putting in sizing to everything. They're like, well, this is six foot tall by, you know, 17 foot wide. I cannot do that. I don't have the patience. I don't have the focus. I don't have the eyes. I can't see anything. Like, it's 6 p.m. and I'm seeing five lines instead of one. Um, <laughs> I have that part. I still don't. I can't manage it. I always hire a set designer. I used to be a very good hand drafter because we in Mexico, we weren't allowed to use computers at all because not everybody had access to a computer. So it was not fair that who did got it and who didn't, didn't. So absolutely no computer. So everything was hand drafted. I was very good at it. I actually enjoyed it. I think it's very therapeutic to like over and over revise your space. And because you're dealing with sort of scale, let's say, that your scale is, you know, your human is, let's say, half an inch big, you actually have a little figure model and you're moving it around your draft and you're like sort of start understanding the space in a scale size when you're doing analog in, in, in a draft table. I don't get the same thing when I'm drafting digitally. Like, I don't, I don't even know. It's four lines. What's the point? <laughs> it's a room. I don't get it. So that, that has been my, I haven't been able to cross that line. And it's good because I have two friends that are like, extremely good at it like close friends and it's like you guys are so good at it why am I even trying you know what I mean <laughs> like you I can do it I don't I, I haven't been able to do the cross and also like I would rather much invent on a pencil sketch that that invent on a you know I, I see that people use the iPads to draw now and I'm like I'll never transition into that ever 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 I need to touch the pencil and make my face dirty with graphite <laughs> <laughs> and in this process of choosing your own tools i guess it's also choosing your own voice and finding the stories you want to tell i don't know is it related to the way you as we were saying a little bit like the way the tools we use and the way we express and what we express is that linked a hundred percent because i can i read a script and I sit in the window with the sun, beautiful California sun coming in and I, you know, quickly 
sketch something in 30 minutes. I quickly sketch something that just came out. I'm not clicking through Google to see what the flowers look like. I'm just saying flowers should be there blah, 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 and they should blah, 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 like that. Right. And it's sort of organic. It just spits into the paper as if I'm doing digitally. I'm rethinking and rethinking and rethinking about how things look, which is not like I'm focused on the final result and not what I'm trying to express as if I do sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I do drawings that are impossible to understand. It's like just graphite all over the, paper and I, I, I'm very heavy handed and I don't care to correct it. I know Picasso said once like I spent 15 years or whatever, 50 years, I don't even know, <laughs> trying to, you know, draw realistically. And then I spend the rest of my life learning how to draw like a child. And I would say that as soon as I learned that quote, I was like, me too. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> after so many years of drawing classes, live drawing classes, and trying to perfect me to be realistic, which happened at UCLA, they truly, that, that's when I started to break down sort of my style and started to be like, this is who I am. And I don't care to actually fix it because it helps me be a creative. And that's what I personally am looking for to be a designer. I take a lot of respect in people who crew and people who have, you know, specific skills that are part of the art or the costume department. I'm better at designing. And that doesn't make me better. That's just like one of my skills. I read a text. I can tell you, you know, analytically what's the, what, what this text is saying, what's under the words. I can tell you, you know, it's just like, I don't know, any of the Aristotle plays with new characters. Um, I can do that. I'm not a skilled. I, I'm a thinker. So yes, grabbing my sketchbook and sitting in my window dressed with my pencil gets the idea across. But if I sit in the computer 12 hours, it won't. <laughs> I'll be distracted by everything else. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about tools and how that shapes it and the process itself and how that shapes the way you're telling a story. What about culture and your own heritage and maybe language? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Like at the beginning, I was very angry that I came to the LA and I was doing a lot of Latin work. Everybody wanted to give me Latin work. And I was like, again, I would be doing Latin work in Latin America, not here. And then I like slowly was like, wait a minute, I actually have something to say. I can fix it. Like when I see Mexican films, I'm like, well, not all houses are orange inside. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like a restaurant in LA, you guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? It happens a lot. Um and I've been able to change that. Like I've had directors. I did, did a very beautiful movie. Um, it's, it's Disney Plus. No, no ads here, but uh, it's, it's called Growing Fangs. It's it's a short film. It's really beautiful. It's Mexican inspired, and like that that was a conversation. And not to shame anything or anything, but that that was a. I I want the living room to you know be very rich in colors and you know here are some references. And most of the references were sort of what I'm saying. You know, like sort of that Mexican restaurant, American look. Because I know a Mexican restaurant to me is something different. And I was able to sort of shift the colors just to sort of something that I was a little bit more comfortable with and I, that I thought made more sense. It's a vampire film. So I was like, I don't think it's orange. I think it's red. I think it's red. I think it's a deep red because they're vampires. And then she was like, <laughs> oh, but I wanted to have red details. And I was like, well, we can have red. We can have everything red. And she was like, what? I was like, that's the Mexican thing. That's the Mexican approach because other designers would be like, no, 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 bounce the colors around. You know, you need complementary. And I'm like, no, <laughs> monochrome, everything red. 
<laughs> and it's like sort of that Mexican approach of just like throw it out there, you know? They do call me a lot for Latin projects specifically because I am able to sort of change it a little bit without wanting to change the original idea. Just like give it my personal extra, <laughs> I would say, um, but I don't try and change their idea. They want a rich color. We're going to do a rich color. Like we're going to give them the feeling they want. And I think I've become very good at that, even though I rejected it at the beginning. So definitely that. And um, I am actually Jewish. I'm a Mexican Jewish woman. So being a Jewish Mexican woman is a lot. And that talks about, like when I mentioned that, that talks about my name. I am Gonzalez Can. Uh, my grandparents, you know, escaped the war in the 20s, made it to Mexico somehow alone, you know, with nobody, no family, no money, and made it. And and that speaks a lot of, you know, my my home, my the pots that were in my house, you know, because my family fell in love with Mexico because everybody else arrived to the U.S., like extended family was in the U.S. And they loved Mexico so much that they stayed there. They couldn't believe pineapples. They arrived at Tampico and they were like, what is this? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> oh, yes. Like we, I'm, we're very, we're very big on kitchen. I, I love cooking. My mother taught me how to cook. Uh, I know how to make tortillas. I know how to make latkes. I know how to make matzo balls. And it's been something that um, when anybody asks me to make a kitchen, I make sure that I'm approaching the kitchen from inside me, from somebody that has immigrant parents, somebody, immigrant grandparents, you know, I'm, I'm a second generation. I'm now an immigrant, quote unquote, I'm a non-immigrant, but I'm living in the United States. And it's, I try to take that, right? Like, if you're asking me to do an American kitchen, I'm still going to look for a pot that makes sense to me and that looks used. It's not going to be a Mexican pot. It's probably going to be an old Target pot or something like that. But I try to approach it from like from my own kitchen, if that makes any sense. I don't know if it makes sense. <laughs> what I just I don't know if I gave you an answer. <laughs> it's it's yeah, of course, because you have to be true to the style, but also true to yourself. Yeah, and I try to do it from from there, like from a point that like my culture has affected my work a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I do a lot of Mexican Mexican stuff, and it's funny because. In Mexico, you know, I'm not necessarily the most Mexican one, you know, I was always a little bit bullied at school, <laughs> you know, like, oh, so you're doing latkes, ha 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 ha, what does that even taste like? And me like, it's fine, I'll bring some tomorrow, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> that, of course, you know, that, that has affected how I approach certain stuff. And, you know, what you see in spaces, I think that's, that's basically where I'm pulling from, mostly. Super, super interesting. Sounds like a so, such a rich thought process. It's very beautiful. I am an overthinker. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has been thought through a million times. <laughs> well, show me the script. <laughs> yeah. All right. After so much of overthinking and discussing, what is your favorite thing about the job? My favorite thing about the job is the first time I fully understand the script. It's been about an hour of research or two, and I'm starting to clean up the mess in my desktop. That's my favorite part, because then I start, my desktop is a mess. It has 400 images that I pulled from Pinterest. Not ashamed of it. I love Pinterest. <laughs> because again, it's about your it's about you knowing what to research, right? You're like you're not gonna get, you're not gonna get fooled by the app. 
you know, you know what you're looking for, right? So like after I pulled 400 images, I start grouping them in my desktop and I slowly see how naturally I'm like a interior bedroom, exterior house, interior school. And slowly I can see the story be grouped by images. So then I open, you know, a presentation and I start dragging in the imagery and you can see the script. If I don't get there, I cry. Like if I don't get there, then I don't want to take the meeting with the director, you know, and I usually get there. I like to wake up 4 a.m., have coffee and do it. I like very early, quiet mornings to get into that sort of role. And by 6 a.m., I'm putting it together. By 8 a.m., it's in the director's email. Like, here's, here's an initial draft of what I see. Let's, let's talk through it. And then I'm like, and here there's, you know, a curtain, blah, 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 because I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the, I think that's my favorite part. I think that's my way favorite part. And something you want to change about the industry or your job? I want to change. I never again want anybody to ask me, what's my day rate? <laughs> I never again, because my day rate is the same as your director of camera. And my day rate is the same as your costume designer. And my day rate is the same as every other team member. I don't think we should be divided. Now with the Oscars tomorrow, I'm very upset about the fact that PD is not mentioned. I don't care for the Oscars. I don't. Nobody should. So it's, it's an award show by these members of this specific group, right? But like, why are you discarding us? That is a pro that I have a problem <laughs> with. And I think that we're all equal, right? And so I've, I've, I've taught that in my classes. Like whenever anybody asks you your fee, just say like, the same as the other one. What are you I, don't, I don't understand the question. And why are you making more money? I think we're all equal, including actors. If, if, it, if one of us is missing in surgery, we don't get there. Right. So I don't, I'm, I'm, I mean, I get, I get the celebrity set. I get it. I'm, upsets me. It upsets me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like we all need to pay the rent, pay our bills, and we all come for a certain amount of hours to get a job done. And if we're not here, the job doesn't get done. Exactly. No, don't ask me. Pay me the same as everyone. That would be yeah. <laughs> so dreamy. <laughs> there is there is the discrepancy in salaries is, is pretty high on both ends, on live performance and on, on film. Where if people wanted to either see the work you've done or contact you for work or contact you for advice or just to invite you for, to have a cup of coffee. Love it. If anybody wants to contact me, I'm on Instagram as Naomi GK. And I also I try and post work and a selfie now and then so people remember I'm alive. I'm <laughs> and um, and then uh, I am I have a website I keep it it's, it's my portfolio I keep it up to date. It's uh, Naomi .com. My email is there. <laughs> I have a Facebook I don't really use it. I have I'm a TikTok user. Um, I don't post, <laughs> but I love <laughs> um, So yeah, you guys can find me on Instagram, probably <laughs> the best way. All right. Well, Naomi, gracias. Gracias. Toda. <laughs> and um, thanks for joining us. Muchísimas gracias. I had a great time. I love podcasting and I love uh, people interested in behind the scenes. Thank you so much for asking about it. Great. It's a pleasure. Theater at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. 
You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.